Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Welcome to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I am in Manitou Springs right now with my friend Dr. Jeff Myers. We are at the summit. And for those of you that don't know what summit is, we're going to tell you. But what we're really going to get into today is what the young generation is dealing with. What are they thinking about? These people that come to summit between the ages of 16 and 22, most of them are Christians. And my friend, Dr. Jeff Myers, who leads Summit, has seen uh, what they've gone through over the past several years and what they're going through now. This is going to be a very helpful conversation. Jeff, great being with you. Frank, man, thank you. And thanks for coming back to Manitou. We love having you here. Students love having you as a speaker. And when you talk about, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, they, they get it. They get it. And you're giving them answers that they will be taken off to the university with them because that's where they're headed next. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's for I know a lot of people listening right now probably know what Summit is, but in case there are some out there that don't, what is Summit? When did it start? What do you do? Summit Ministry started in 1962 by Dr. David Noble. Mm-hmm. And our the focus is to equip and support this uh, the rising generation, whoever they happen to be at the moment to embrace God's truth and to champion a biblical worldview. So if you've heard the term worldview, mm-hmm. you've been influenced by David Noble and some ministries, whether you realize it or not, because David Noble was the first guy to really systematize the idea of a worldview and say a biblical worldview applies to all these different areas that you're studying when you're in school, theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics, and history. And then he went further and said, not only do you need to understand a biblical worldview, you need to understand what you're up against mm. because there are all these counterfeit plans of salvation. Marxism, as an example, secularism, postmodernism, Islam, new spirituality. And those views are prevalent on your campus. Your professors probably hold to one of those views. So if you know how not only to defend what you believe, but how to respond when other people defend what they believe, then you've got two levels of a defense. And you've been, I mean, David Noble was the president for many years. You've been the president for how long now? I've been the president. This is in my 12th year. All right, you're in so your 12th we're year. 62 years of our of this summit ministries program. And we're operating in, a, you know, this little hippie town, Manitou Springs, yep. right at the foot of Pikes Peak. Uh, the people who live here are largely new spiritualists, pretty far left. It's an unusual environment to have a program where most of the people we're working with are Christian, uh-huh. conservative in their convictions. And, uh, but it's, it's great. We love our neighbors. They love us. We're good to them. You know, our, the people on our staff are involved in the community as firefighters and all different kinds of things. And, and it just, it's been, it's been an amazing ride. And you have this big hotel here that was built many moons ago. Uh, some parts of it have heat, some don't. So it's largely a summer ministry. What do you do in the summer? How many kids do you bring through this? So we'll have about, uh, well, this year we'll have about 1,700 students okay. who come for two weeks here and then also in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. 
All right. And then in those two-week programs, well, we're basically doing four things. I just think of it as A, B, C, D. First of all, we're helping them find answers. So we tell them, we don't really care where you are mm-hmm. in your faith journey. Mm-hmm. You can be constructing, deconstructing, questioning, whatever. We don't really care as long as you're curious. So bring your questions with you. So, so answers, answers is the, is the first one. Okay. B is a biblical worldview. Good. We want the students to not just come away from Summit feeling differently about God. That can happen in camps, retreats, all kinds of places. We want them to see everything in the world differently because of their relationship with God. That's what makes this program have such a long-term influence. And we study our graduates, you know, one year, five years, 10 years out. C is the counterfeits. We want them to understand the counterfeit worldviews. You know, uh, uh, if you if you have a counterfeit watch, it looks like the real thing. It keeps time, but it diminishes the value of the brand because it takes away the economic value that has been developed through the reputation of that company. Mm-hmm. Same thing is true in the world of ideas. So a Marxist might say, you know, you should care more about justice. You should care more about the poor. Uh, then they get you involved and you realize everything the Marxists touch becomes more poverty stricken and less just, right? So, so we want students to understand that. So, so answers, biblical worldview, counterfeits, and then D is dialogue. Okay, if you, if yeah. you can't talk about what you believe with people who, even people who don't believe, even people who might be hostile, if you can't do that, then it won't really ever transform your life. And this has been going on for many years, ladies and gentlemen, and I, I've been privileged to be a part of it probably since 2005, but you have a lot of people come here and teach. I mean, you have Sean McDowell, you have Alan Schleeman, you have uh, Brett Kunkel, Jay you have Wallace. Jay Warner Wallace. Mm-hmm. Who else? Get, go, go through some of the other people that are known to teach here. Uh, well, Christopher Yuan, who yep. speaks on holy sexuality, is one of our regular speakers. Dr. Kathy Cook, who's an educational psychologist, helps helps the students understand their particular kind of intelligence her, you know, her question is not how smart are you? It's how are you smart? Right. So you're helping students who might not even feel like they're book smart or word smart, figure out how they can make a difference. Those that's probably the core team okay. right there. Yeah. So we're covering apologetics, we're covering biblical worldview. Uh, we're covering marriage and family. Sexuality. Well, John, John Stone Street from John Colson Stone Center Street is here, here yeah. regularly. You're teaching. I sat in a session last week with you. You were teaching about economics and Marxism and capitalism. What are the other things you teach? Well, I, I teach on, I teach a Christian worldview, uh-huh. first of all. So what is a biblical, what is the idea of a worldview? It's a pattern of ideas about the world. Uh, I also teach about, you want to, that's okay. Go keep going. Uh, okay. We're, 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 we're in the mountains. We got a truck outside. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> we, we have the air force flying over too. So yeah, uh, that could add, that's that right. could add some of the excitement as uh-huh. well. They're, they're here preparing for the, uh, the graduation, graduation ceremony yeah. for the air force Academy. Um, the, so, so, We'll talk about a biblical worldview, a Marxist worldview. I'll talk about new spirituality, a secular worldview, all of these kinds of things. It's it's just, it, I'll also, I've actually added in something this year about politics because a lot of our students have a real, they have a rash. They break out in a rash when they think about politics. Mm. They do not want to think about it. Right. But as Christians, we have to be thinking about politics. We have to take our citizenship responsibilities seriously. Yes. So I talk with them about that as well. And then leadership. Mm. So... How do you break down leadership and understand it from a biblical worldview and then build it back up so that every student, even the ones who don't see themselves as leaders, can actually figure out how they can make a difference in the world? So you're teaching these students quite a bit in two weeks. 
Uh, are you in any way shocked by how little Christian students know about this when they get here? I think what I'm shocked by, Frank, is how little students grasp the importance of engaging the world, that there's still kind of an escape mentality among a lot of young believers. They're looking for a comfortable life. They're looking for a life that doesn't have trouble in it. They kind of make a deal with God. I will be good. You don't hurt me. Mm. And they haven't gone a lot deeper than that in their faith. So they tend to look for confirming evidence mostly. If they hear a speaker who says something they agree with, they're very happy. Not because they intend to grow, but because they don't want to grow anymore. It makes them feel comfortable. Mm. So at Summit, we, you know, we have speakers who love, all of our speakers love Jesus. You know, we all sign a doctrinal right, statement, sure. a statement of convictions, things like that. So that we're, it's, it's a very orthodox program biblically. But at the same time, we bring in communicators who are willing to push the students to think harder, to go deeper, to recognize that you're going into the desert of life and God is taking you there on purpose, not because he's abandoning you, but because he wants to be with you because God hangs out in the desert of life. Right. He's preparing you, strengthening you. It's the resistance you experience that builds resilience in your life. I've noticed that most people and maybe we're all guilty of this at some point, we want God to be our assistant rather than, <laughs> yeah. rather than we're God's assistant. You know, we're supposed to be his ambassadors on earth to get his will done, and we want God to be our assistant to get our will done yeah. on earth. And so we kind of have it flipped, don't we? That, yeah. that, that it's really my will I want done, God. And so, as you just said, don't hurt me. Just uh, just give me what I want, and we'll all be cool. Yeah. Right? That's what's fun, though, working with, with the rising generation. So, mm -hmm. uh, I'm a Gen X guy. I, I worked with students who were my own age, roughly, when I first was involved with Summit Ministries, then the millennial generation, and now Gen Z. <sighs> Younger people are more flexible. They what just you, are. What do you mean, more flexible They're in more, what, what sense? Uh, like... Like if, if we, if we have an event with adults, yeah, they uh, are more resistant to change uh -huh. because they have more to lose by having been wrong in the past. Uh -huh. Young adults are just forming out all of their ideas. Mm -hmm. When they ask a question, they're almost never trying to trick you. They're just genuinely curious. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, actually we occasionally we have adults come through and visit summit. Sure. We don't. We don't have adults and students working together because they're, the pliability of their mind is totally different. And, and that's what's fun about working with the rising generation. They, they, they have a lot of hopes. They have a lot of dreams. They have a lot of fears. Not so many disappointments uh, that, that, you know, that a lot of older adults have. But they're ready. They're ready to learn. They're ready for someone to say, you've got this. God loves you. He's made you in his image. He's made you male and female in his image. He's ma uh, uh, he has made you and prepared you for a, a great cause. You have the equipment that he wants you to have. He he's going to strengthen you and build you up. And you are going to be somebody who makes a difference. So when students come here, and most of them are Christians, but there may be some that their parents send here to fix them. We know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's say the, the Christians that are here, Jeff, you've been doing this for a long time. Um, 
Where do Christian students push back most against Christian orthodoxy? Is it the sexual issues? Is it something else? Where, where, where are they struggling to say, I don't know if I can believe that? I think the biggest struggle, it's been different in okay. each generation. All right. It's been different. Uh, I'll just give you an example. So when I was growing up, if you went to a youth conference, they always had a speaker talk about sex. And the speaker always had to address one question because there was only one question on the minds of the students. Mm. How far is too far? Mm, mm. Last summer had a student. He took us up on this. He wasn't committed to Christ. He took us up on the idea of bringing a big list of questions. And his first question to me sitting over lunch was, aside from consent, what is there in the Bible that should govern my sexual ethic? Mm. Like it wasn't even a question of how far is too far. Right. He just assumed that if the other person agrees to it and I agree to it, then it's right. Mm. It's legit mm. because we both consent. How did you respond? Okay. I responded by turning him, his turning his thoughts toward what does it mean to love? What does it mean to protect as a guy? What is our, what is your responsibility as a child of God? Knowing what you know right now, even though I know your commitment to Christ is, you know, not solid, you already you should he already shared that with me. What is it? What do you think a man's responsibility is in a relationship? Mm. What what? And he 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 said to me, he was right away. He said, "Oh, I, I think I understand where you're going with this." He said, "I've never thought about this in my life." The only question I was ever taught to ask is consent. Is it okay if I do this? If it's okay if I do that? And if the other person says yes, then it's okay. The idea that you would actually, out of love, want to serve the other person by giving of yourself for their genuine benefit had never occurred to him hmm. in relation to sexual issues. Uh, so I, I gave that as an example, not because I wanted to focus in on the issue of sex. I just wanted I just wanted people who were listening to realize that mindset that he was giving is applied to everything for this generation. It's not about will you seek the truth. It's about whether you're getting the words to speak your truth. Mm. It's already tipped over. The balance is tipped. The, these young adults are totally committed to the idea that they are their own authority. So they have a very hard time when we talk about scripture. They ask questions about whether scripture is reliable because they don't really want to trust its authority. They don't want it to have authority in their lives. Hmm. Okay, so they they use arguments against it because they don't. It, it's going to take away their what their own feeling so is they, of their personal sovereignty. They want more meology than theology. That's yeah. That's it. Yeah. If I can get it to go my way, if I can figure out a way to work this scripture thing to my own benefit, yeah, <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, well, yeah. you think about how many people do that, you know, oh, in sure church all yeah. the time. Sure. You know, yeah, just yeah. randomly pick a verse and uh -huh. say, you know, I'm going to club the other person over the head with it. <laughs> uh, but but think think about how both it's empowering and scary it is to think that you are your own god. It's mm -hmm. empowering because all your life you've been told what to do and find out that you have some power over your life, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. At the same time, it's terrifying because you realize if you have a problem, there's nobody but you who can solve it. And if you feel powerless about your situation, then you're in real trouble. So with COVID, huge rise in levels of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, addiction, and all of these things over which people feel powerless. 
They don't have the resources and they actually don't. You know, it takes a community of people. It takes walking alongside of other people who will help you get well. It's not something you can do by yourself. And and you can't ever get well if you don't acknowledge reality as it actually is. Like if, if you say, well, I, I've got my little fantasy world and I'm going to live in it. No, no one who's really loving or compassionate would ever go along with that. Somebody says, I'm, I'm an addict, but, you know, I'm actually better for this. This addiction's helping me, which is what a lot of addicts say. Sure. Uh, if somebody says, oh, good for you, you know, what are your pronouns or whatever, you know, they're, they're enabling a, something that's going to kill that person. Right. You've got to grapple with reality as it really is. So we actually start with John 8, 32, where Jesus said, if you follow my teachings, you be my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word for truth there, Alethea, is reality. You'll know reality, and that will actually set you free. Mm-hmm. Reality is not a scary place to be. The fantasy world where you realize you have no power to actually even fix your own problems, that's the scary place to be. Yeah, the passage um, also implies that if you don't have the truth, you're in bondage. You know, if, right. you, if you need the yes. truth in order to be set free, well, it implies you're in bondage. You know, recently I was out at a, a pastor's conference, uh, TPUSA Faith Pastor's Conference out there in Nashville. Our friend Charlie Kirk puts that on. Does great work for pastors. Anyway, you know Bill Federer, right? You yes. Bill? Yeah. Bill's an amazing <laughs> historian. The guy's a machine. His brain for facts. He's <laughs> oh, like a living dictionary. He is. But he's an encyclopedia. And he, he pointed this out. I'd never noticed this before. You know when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself? Well, we, we, we vaguely know that's in the Old Testament. But when you go back to the Old Testament... This is Leviticus uh, 19, verses 17 to 18. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the whole thing memorized. But just before he says, love your neighbor as yourself, it says, rebuke your neighbor frankly so you are not guilty. You do not share in his guilt. In other words, in order to love your neighbor, you have to tell your neighbor when he's wrong, to rebuke him, to pull him back from the edge of the cliff. Yeah. But yet in our culture, we think that love means approval, when in fact, according to the Bible, love means rebuking your neighbor when he's wrong. As Paul says, love always protects, right? Love rejoices in the truth, doesn't rejoice in in, in wrongdoing. Love always perseveres. So we have this totally backwards idea of love in in our country. We think it's all about approving people when, in fact, it's not approving evil that they do. As you just mentioned, you'd be enabling them to go down the wrong road. So when you're seeing people come through here, Jeff, and we're talking to Dr. Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries, summit.org, when you see young people come through here, they're looking, many of them are looking for a way to get verification or authentication that they can be their own boss. They want the authority. Yeah. Okay, so... What are the topics that they push back that they say, well, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. What are the issues? I know sex has got to be the big issue for them. I think sex is, is one of them. But uh-huh. for this generation, they they don't, this is strange to think about, they don't think about sex as much as they think about gender. Okay. So they take the, the idea of gender, mm-hmm. which, you know, from which the root word is is the word for genetics, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. but, but, but their generation of teachers has told them that there's a difference between sex and gender and that you are whatever gender you want to be. Mm. 
That's a major issue. So respond it's to about, that. It's, a, it's an issue about self-definition. Sure. Respond to that. So, so some kid comes up and he says, uh, my gender is different from my sex and I want to live by my gender. And you say what? The first thing I've got to do is, is say to the student, let me, let me see if I can under, if I've got this right. You're saying that gender is a spectrum that on the one side is extreme masculinity. On the other side is extreme femininity. And every human being is somewhere in the middle, right? So if you're a boy and you enjoy things that other, that girls enjoy, you might actually be a girl who's born in the wrong body. Mm. Have I got that right? Yes. He yeah. says, okay. He says, yes. All right. Uh, then we just go back to Genesis. You know what? There are two things we can know from Genesis chapter one about you. Number one, you are made in God's image. Number two, you are made either male or female in God's image. That male and female in scripture don't just denote physical categories. There are psychological categories or spiritual categories as well. So we start with the physical. Uh, there are 6,500 biological differences between males and females. Humans are dimorphous. Nobody questions this. Uh, what we're asking students to do is learn in biology that if you're if you're a female, you have every cell in your body, your chromosomes are stamped XX, and if you're a male, they're stamped XY. We expect them to learn that in biology class and pass the test and then go onto the sports field and turn a blind eye if there's a girl on the boys' team or a boy on the girls' team who actually thinks that they're the opposite sex. So... I'm, I'm trying to help, first of all, help them see that that gender spectrum is completely based on social stereotypes. Mm. If we would say there's a spectrum, we'd say there's a male spectrum and a female spectrum. And those two spectra uh, would be, there might be some young men who are very masculine in the stereotypical sense. And some who are not so masculine in the very st stereotypical sense. And same with same with women, but you would have, you, you know, you don't believe the lie that if somehow you are a girl who identifies more with things that boys enjoy, that you're somehow born in the wrong body. You're not. That, that conversation usually helps to set them free. The born in the wrong body thing is, is pure poison. Oh, totally. When you think, because they're not just, it's not just saying that there's something wrong with your body. You're saying that your body itself as a unit of reality is wrong. There's no recovery from that. Okay. There's no pathway out of that. And what I think the students are, that we work with are looking for is something to believe. I wonder why we don't look at it from the opposite perspective. For example, if I say, um, a woman trapped in a man's body, couldn't I just as easily say that I'm actually a man enveloping a woman's mind? <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. in that case, I could change my mind and be fixed. I wouldn't yeah. need to go through any kind of surgery. And really, when you have a mental delusion, that's how you treat it. You don't treat it with surgery. You treat it with counseling, with prayer, with, yeah. with uh, psychiatry. And so I think... If we just looked at it from the opposite perspective, well, I have some thoughts that maybe, maybe I'm a woman in a certain to a certain sense, given what I know about women. And there's no way that any of us personally can know what it's like to be the opposite sex because we're not. Right. <laughs> All we can do is is 
observe what the other person's like and ask, what do you think about that kind of thing? You think That's shopping? Right. I'm a woman. No. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's stereotypes. Uh, let's go down the rabbit hole on this because mm-hmm. I, I think this is really important. What what, what I'm observing, because you had asked what are yeah. even Christian students facing, what I'm observing is, is uh, culturally uh, cultivated self-love. A narcissism. You are your mm. own truth. You speak your own truth. Mm. You are awesome. The way you are, you are, you know, you're a God. At the same time, this very deep sense of self-hatred. So if you're, if you, everything, if you're completely self-contained and uh, your you're truth enough. is your truth. You're, you're enough. enough. That you're phrase, enough. you're right. enough. This sounds okay. like Lisa Children's book now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. you live your truth in other lives. That's what she's talking about. That's what she's talking yeah. about. Yes. So if that's true, then your body is all you have because that's the only physical aspect of you that you can know exists. But if you sense an incongruence between where you are physically and how your life is going, then there's no possible way to resolve it. I don't know if you remember this. This is a terrible study to reference because it was done on puppies. But, you know, in the 1950s, they did a study about what, you know, what do puppies do if they get, they're in a box and there's a little wall and they get shocked if they're on one side. Well, they jump over the wall Mm. because they're trying to avoid the pain. What happens, and they did actually did this in the study. What happens if the puppy jumps to the other side and they get shocked over there too? Then they jump back to the other side and they get shocked. They actually end up in a double bind. What happens is they just give up. They actually just quit. Essentially, soul death. Uh, they wow. just quit trying to live. They just because they no matter what they do, they're going to get shocked. That uh, so what psychologists call a double bind. Double bind is at the root of of most mental illnesses. That people have two irreconcilable thoughts about themselves. And it could be that they came from a dysfunctional family relationship where, you know, the parent kind of put them in a double bind as a way to control them. And the, and the mental illness is literally the only logical way out of it. But that self-love and the self-hate trying to coexist create tremendous mental health challenges for this generation. But the self-hate, we're watching, uh, we're watching this happen right now. The, uh, the National Institutes of Health has done this study since 1977. And they always ask questions to 12th graders. The four questions on the survey that they've, they've been, tra- there, there are lots of questions, obviously, but the four they've been tracking that I want to refer to right now are on what people call self-derogation. So if you make derogatory remarks to somebody else, you know what that means. You're trying to diminish their personhood. Well, people make self-derogatory comments. Things like, I don't really know why I'm here. Sometimes I feel I am no good at all. Things like that. If you look at those from 1977 to the present time, you see a hockey stick effect starting at about 2010, where people express self-love when they're asked, I love me, and they're expressing the highest levels of self-hatred that have been recorded in the last two generations. What is the central cause for this? Is it social media? Is it, what is it, do you think, Jeff? Well, what's yeah, people okay. forgoing God? Yeah, I yeah, get that, of course. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes, yeah. yeah they, so, so if you don't, if you're not rooting your relation, if you're not rooting your life in reality, your identity, it's sort of like yeah. you know we're on the edge of Pike National Forest out right. here. There's a million acres. You could get really lost in there. If you have a compass, you can find your way out, unless you're using the compass to point to yourself. Right. Right. Then you'll always be lost. Sure. That's 
part of what's happening there. But the other part of w- what's happening, and this is not, this is not, I'm, I'm saying this as a Christian, but the people who are really in this conversation right now are left-leaning, secular, progressive agnostics, okay? Okay. These researchers are saying what they're noticing is that liberal girls and boys results are far higher. They exhibit far higher levels of self-hatred than conservative girls and boys. And this is their discussion. Again, that's why I clarified who's doing this research. The discussion right now is why is it that liberal girls and boys have so much self-hatred and so much discomfort in their own bodies? What's actually going on? And they're finding that it's kind of a spiral of things, starting with isolating yourself from God and then isolating yourself from other people who believe in God, then isolating yourself from church and then trying to fill that need through social media, which then pulls you into this crass commercialized cycle of, boy, do we have a lot of things to sell you. The increasing isolation increases the feelings of self-hatred and pulls young adults toward mental health conditions that are very dangerous. And you look at our society today, it's much different than when we grew up. Uh, There are so many choices people have, whether they're valid choices or not. I mean, you've got millions of YouTube uh, websites, YouTube sites, you've got 500 channels on cable, you've got all these other places you can go for information, you've got Netflix, you've got you know, Amazon Prime, Hulu. You can just go on and on and on. Right. Yeah. And now those are choices that you can actually make and create your own little echo chamber too, online, on Instagram, on Twitter, on on any of these, Facebook or, or uh, YouTube or TikTok. You can just keep getting assurances that whatever you think is true. And then, Jeff, it seems like it's further complicated by having a virtually infinite number of choices with regard to gender. Oh, wow. I could be anywhere on a spectrum between male and female. What does Facebook say? 57 choices? Or is it more than that well, now? Well, I don't health, know. Healthline.com lists and defines 68 different genders. 68 different genders. <laughs> now, here I am at you know 17 years old, 15 years old, whatever I am. I see all these choices around me. I'm going to be paralyzed to say I've got to I've got to make all these choices. Yeah. I, I I don't know what to do. You know what ambiguity breeds? It breeds anxiety. When yeah. you don't have a track to run on, when you don't know that this is the right path, you've got a virtually infinite number of paths to take. You're going to be you're going to be full of anxiety. Is this part of the problem? There's there's been a lot of research in in the role of too many choices uh-huh. creating anxiety. It's it's fascinating. There was one super scary study that was done of medical doctors, and they had a choice between surgery or trying a certain kind of drug. Okay, so this is the situation they set up, and the doctors were supposed to choose: is you're going to send this person to surgery, or are you going to try to give them this pill to see if it helps? They would choose the pill rather than the surgery because it might work. Mm. Okay. When they were given a choice between two pills that they could give them, they would choose the surgery because they couldn't figure out which of the two pills to use. So they would go to the most extreme option. Hmm. When people have 
too many choices and no capacity for making them, no criterion by which they would guide themselves, it creates a tremendous amount of anxiety. The anxiety levels are huge. I mean, 75% of Gen Z say they have no sense of purpose that gives meaning to their lives. More than 50% say they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression. So we're dealing with this even with Christian young people. At Summit, we want them to know you're not alone. We're going to be here. We're going to walk alongside of you. But the point is for you to get well. It's not enough to just go on the internet, study for five minutes, and find an identity that you can embrace. Hmm. You actually need to embrace reality as it really is. So there's that's par- what we're going to do. There's parents listening right now. Uh, summit is probably full for this summer, is it? We have room, Frank, this summer at our summit in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Okay. We have good. room for students to come. So they, if they go to summit.org. If you go to summit.org, you could see those events. I think we actually may have seats for Colorado, our Colorado program, for the last two weeks of August. Okay, so this is uh, yeah. summit.org. Mm-hmm. It's two weeks. Yes, uh, and it's not just academics. There's a lot of fun that goes on too. A lot of camaraderie. Yeah, we play. We well play yeah. on the zip lines and yeah, uh, rock climb, go whitewater rafting, hike, play sports. We do we do all of that. We work hard and we play hard. But the thing young adults find at Summit that they can't find just by watch. If you could watch all these speakers on on YouTube, yeah, right. You could find clips. Well, we, you during, got clips on YouTube. Yeah, during, I've got clips on during YouTube. COVID. We did that. It's yeah. not as effective, obviously. It's not as effective. Yeah. What happens at Summit is students realize I'm a part of a community of people who are real, mm-hmm. who care about me, who love me, who are real thinkers, who ask great questions, and don't give up on me because I'm struggling with something. That's what they find at Summit. That's what sets them free. 1% of young adults today have a biblical worldview. 1%. This is Barna, 1%. And, and pastors, what, 40% have a biblical about worldview? about 40%. Yeah, okay. So by the time the students leave Summit, 85% have a biblical worldview. Okay. So we thought, well, you know, of course, two weeks. You get real excited at the right. end of two weeks. Yeah. But what about the rest of your life? So we hired a company called Gray Matter Research to study our graduates one year, five years, 10 years out. They stay at above 80%, even 10 years out. Oh, good. Longi- so there's something that happens here yeah. that shows them I can, I personally can live out a biblical worldview. You've had a few relatively well-known graduates mm-hmm. come through here. Michelle Bachman, I think, the former yeah, congresswoman. Who else? Uh, oh, wow. Well, we've had a, a lot of students come through who are you know, best-selling author Trevin Wax. You know Trevin, sure, yeah. uh, who writes on orthodoxy is a, is a graduate uh-huh. of our program. Uh, different corporate CEOs, different companies. Some of them I don't. Uh, you can't say. Uh, I can't yeah. say right. high-level political officials. Sure. I can't give their names because I don't want them to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. uh, we support them, help yeah. them, pray yeah. for them. Sure, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, one of our graduates, though, I, I can say I can say his name because he's he has he's part of a team, the Denver Nuggets, that go to the finals and they're starting to play very soon. The first time the Denver Nuggets have ever been to the NBA finals. Sure, yeah. Michael Porter Jr. is one of the summit players grads. on that team. He's a summit grad. Oh, good. And and uh, he and his siblings all came to the summit. Uh, wonderful family. Okay, good. Yeah. Now. Whether people listening now can come to Summit or not, let's say you're a parent now, you've got teenagers, Jeff, and you've, you've been through the whole teenage thing with your kids, yep. and, and you're sensing that your kid may be a bit directionless, um, is having issues, what, what's some advice you could give parents right now? 
Well, aside from coming to a two-week right. summit program, right. because I, I know we're kind of springing that on people here. Yeah. We are in the middle of the summer already. Yeah. Uh, do everything in your power to make that happen. But if that isn't going to happen, uh, I would encourage parents to start opening up the conversation. So, uh, you know, I have four kids. Some of them are more talkative than others. Even for the ones who weren't talkative, my questions were things like, uh, you know, just being really open. Have you ever felt sad for no reason? Um, when you think about having a sense of purpose that gives meaning to your life, you know, what are some things that come to your mind? Mm -hmm. uh, if they don't want to talk about themselves, I, I sometimes ask questions of one of my children. Hey, it's your school. Does this topic ever come up? And what do people say? And, and it was easier for that child to talk about experiences from school than to talk about personal experiences. And then that led into, into more. If your children, I mean, obviously if they're afraid of you, this isn't going to work, mm. but if they feel that, that you really do care. And even if you're clueless, I, I used cluelessness to my advantage all the time. Playing dumb. Never underestimate the power of playing dumb. Like when you're me, what a parent, do you mean by that? Yeah, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I don't understand. Uh -huh. Can you help me understand? I don't know how this works. Can you help me know how this works? Why do people say this kind of thing? You know, why is this video game popular? What songs are on the radio, you know, that, are, that people are listening to right now? And I don't get it. That's so different from when I was growing up. You know, just... Let them be the expert to mm -hmm. guide you in understanding themselves. If you if you are willing to do that and they feel safe with you, then you can start talking about some of the deeper things. But you can't be shocked. Okay, you can't freak out. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's one thing you can't willing, do. Yeah, you, know, you have to be willing to 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 go there. I think one one thing I remember a journalist asked me one time. Well, what kinds of things have you seen at Summit that? kids do or have done or you know bad stuff he was kind of kind of sure kind of prying a little bit yeah i said well let me put it this way there is nothing bad that a kid can do or have done to them that i have not seen mm -hmm. okay it's that simple so once you get to the place where you've you've everything that could have shocked you you have seen then you're far more open far more able to say, listen, I don't know what to do, but I'm ready to walk alongside of you and I want to help you. And I know people we can talk to um, and let's just do this together. Yeah, if you freak out when your kid comes to you with something that's important, very important, they're never going to come to you again, right? They're going to go elsewhere. Well, they don't, uh, kids don't want to disappoint their parents, right. but they also don't want to feel that their parents are somehow wrong. Because sure. that's the message they're getting in school pretty much every day. Your mm -hmm. parents are wrong. Mm -hmm. Your parents are clueless. Your mm -hmm. parents' values are bad. Mm -hmm. And they're wondering. I don't think it's true. I do like my parents. I admire them at least. Even though when we don't get along, I still, you know, I still think they're probably, they probably have my interests more in mind than anybody else. But what if they're wrong? What, what if they're wrong about all of this? What if I have to actually end my relationship with my parents to be sane in the world in which I live? And so parents who can come alongside and say, look, I get it. Um, you know, I, I, I want you to f find a vision for your life. I want you to find something that's purposeful, that gives meaning to you. I want you to know that I'm here, that I'll walk alongside of you. I want you to know that I'm growing and changing still, and I recognize that you are as well. 
And I also recognize that there are times when you're in the desert. You know, right now I'm in my annual Bible reading. I'm in the book of Job. It's quite depressing because Job, you know, all these things go wrong. And, and he starts talking to God. It's like smack talk. Like, why are you doing this? Why don't you just leave me alone? You know, and you think, wait a second, you can actually talk to God that way? Yeah, you can. In, acts, in Scripture. So it's, it's in just, Scripture. Just like the Psalms. Right. Yeah. Yeah, God God can take any of the, any of our heat, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what he doesn't want us to do is to give up hope. Right. Right. You can yell at God all you want. That's... Yes. That's what yeah. some of the psalmists do. That's what Job does. And you you can't you can't navigate it on your own. Right. So we might say as a way to empower people, you're enough, speak your truth. And there are a lot of people who have hidden experiences that they do need to get out there. They need to be brave. They need to be bold. I understand that aspect of it. But as an epistemological approach to reality, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna ever find a mooring if you can't acknowledge there is a truth bigger than you. So it seems like the real issue in our culture today is one of identity and purpose. That's what people are struggling to get. So what do you do at Summit to give people a firm identity and a firm purpose in life? Oh, great question. Well, uh, one, one of our speakers, Dr. Kathy Cook, is an educational psychologist, a uh, very trusted authority. The students love her. She helps them understand the core needs that they have in their lives and how they can actually meet those core needs. She helps them understand their kind of intelligence so there are lots of different sorts of smarts. There might be students who don't feel that they are word smart, but maybe they are picture smart. Or mechanical or art smart. smart yeah. Or music smart. Right. Or body smart. Right. Athletic. You know, yeah. Athletic. Or yeah. they're dancers. A lot of people who are athletic, they don't feel, they don't feel at home in, in the church. You know, they're like, well, you know, I because their primary smart is body smart. Now, obviously student athletes are the best students that there are because they have to be full-time students and full-time athletes. Nobody, you know, mm -hmm. nobody can perform at that level uh, without developing a whole lot of leadership sure. skill. But, but that's the first thing we do. Understanding you, understanding your, yourself from God's perspective. The second thing we do, we talk about the combination between vision and mission and motivation and planning. So I, I really, I dig in with them on that. What are those things that return energy to you and make you feel more alive? And how do we find other people? How do you find other people in your life who, 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 whose strengths complement your strengths? So obviously, if you have strengths, by definition, you have weaknesses. What do you do? Set the strengths on the shelf and improve the weaknesses? No, you find other people, the body of Christ, whose strengths match your strengths, and together you're way stronger than you would otherwise be. So we, we, we start talking about those kinds of things in, in their lives. And they realize, oh, I, I understand now the purpose of church. I understand the purpose of getting wise counsel. Our students have a mantra. I will teach it to them to this group next week. And I'll just tell them. It's simple. It's four words. I need old people. I need wise counselors. Sure. I cannot become mentors. what I need to be without mentors. So how do I identify the areas where I need mentoring and how do I bring people into my life intentionally? And that changes their relationship with their parents, their grandparents, changes their relationship with teachers, even the people in their church who they sort of have had at arm's length because they're just not comfortable, different generation and all that. 
um, they realize, oh, that person may actually, I should invite them to coffee because I, I bet it'd be meaningful to them and it sure would be meaningful to me. Those steps really help. That's good. Yeah. You can really only learn in three ways by revelation from your experience or for some, from someone else's experience. And you don't have enough time to learn all the experience <laughs> from your own <laughs> perspective. Right. You got to get the experience of others. Mm-hmm. And that's why God wants elders to lead. And unfortunately, yeah. I remember I was talking to a charismatic pastor once. I said, I know you guys believe in apostles and all apostles. What are you, what are you talking about? You believe there are apostles in the church? He goes, I don't even think there's elders in the church. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, you got to be hip and under 40 and wear skinny jeans to be cool in church. Yeah. Then, you know, yeah, you're seen. Exactly. You know, that's not the model. Yeah. So yeah. We need yeah to be, the model is not to try right. to be kid-like when right. you're grown up. Uh-huh. The model is to be sufficiently approachable that others are comfortable walking alongside of you and then be open for That's the right. opportunities. You know, there's a move right now in business, which I find fascinating. A guy named Chip Conley. He used to be a men. He was, his official title was modern elder at Airbnb. Modern elder. Modern okay. elder. And uh, he, he's written about this idea of a modern elder, not, not like an elder in church, but just a, recognizing that when you're you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s that you're playing a different role. You're no longer the lead dog. You're you're the one helping the lead dog be a better right dog. And, That's right. and that idea of a modern elder is catching on in business. If it could catch on in the church more, that would be fantastic. It needs to. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, tell our listeners uh, where they can learn more about Summit and where they can learn more about you because you have a podcast as well. So tell people about that. Well, I, I do have a podcast called the Dr. Jeff Show Podcast. You can just Google that and then you can find out about Summit Ministries and the two-week programs that we offer at summit.org. These are the two-week programs for 16 to 22-year-olds that bring tremendous transformation in their lives. Is there anything for adults during the winter? We have programs for adults called Base Camp and okay. they aren't, in person, they're virtual. All right. So th- we'll do three hours on a biblical worldview of some really tough topic. Okay. Recently, we did a biblical worldview of mental health. All right. Uh, we've done a biblical worldview on identity because we were talking about that earlier in the show. Sure. You know, what do you do? How do you help kids who are gender insecure, as an example? So those are the sorts of programs you can sign up for at summit.org as well. And there's a resource library there with your videos, my videos, a lot of other people. What about curriculum? You have that too, right? We have a curriculum that we've developed for Christian schools, homeschools, churches. Okay. Yes. Uh, So a a lot of it's there. If you want a biblical worldview, apologetics, cultural impact, personal identity and mission and uh, meaning, all of those things tied together... Those resources, a lot of different resources available. Ladies and gentlemen, as we've said on this program before, the purpose of life is to know God and to make him known. But you can do that in many different ways. And if you come to Summit Ministries, especially as a young person, you're going to learn what your strengths and weaknesses are and how you can do that better. And uh, you can get rid of the ambiguity because if the scriptures are true, we have a track to run on, Dr. Jeff, don't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then you can you can really get going in life to know God and to make him known and and not only to affect time but to affect eternity what could be more important than that yeah that's right right. well Frank thank you for the time today thanks for your friendship and thank you for investing our students for almost two decades now yeah well there are a lot of young leaders out there 
who have been influenced by you in this program, and they are doing this. They're in business, they're in the military, they're in science, young professors who are, are sort of retaking academic areas like sociology, philosophy, that I think a lot of Christians thought were completely lost. Well, that's what Summit has done for so many years. Started with Dr. David Noble, now Dr. Jeff Myers has done it and continues to do it, friends. So go to summit.org, also check out the Dr. Jeff Show, We'll see you here next time, and I don't have enough faith to be.